So hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of EdUp Accreditation. EdUp Accreditation is a spinoff of the EdUp Ed network of podcasts. And this podcast specifically focused on accreditation is one that I am excited to host. My name is Dr. Lori Shanderson. And today's guest is the one and only Dr. Anthony Stanowski. He is the president and CEO of the Commission of Accreditation on Healthcare Management Education, also known as CAMI. So welcome, Anthony, and thank you for joining me today. Lori, thank you very much for the invitation, and it's always great to share a conversation with you. Well, I have asked you to join me on this podcast today because of your role with CAMI, uh, such a very important organization. Accreditation is super important. But before we talk about that, I'd like to talk about you a little bit. You know, you've had a career um, that spanned different areas other than accreditation directly. You know, most recently, but prior to CAMI, you were at Aramark. So how did you get into this world of accreditation? Why was the position at CAMI attractive to you? What made you say, you know what, I want to go in this direction? You know, I, and I think what you really have to go back to when I got my graduate degree, which was from Widener University. It was an MBA in healthcare management, and it was accredited by CAMI. It was known as a different name back then. It was known as Akiza, but it was the CAMI organization. And I didn't realize when I went into the program what being CAMI accredited meant. Mm -hmm. When I came out of the program, that's when I realized the difference it made. Um, when you're CAMI accredited, that means that the students and the program needs to meet cer certain standards and qualifications, certain standards and, and criteria. And um, that means the students are better prepared to lead. So when I came out of my program, you know, there I was and I was competing against other graduates for jobs or even, you know, some of the work that I was doing in the hospital. And you kind of see what my background was through the program that I went through and how that really kind of set me apart and, and made me a, a, a better professional. So, you know, uh, I, I didn't go into my program knowing that it was CAMI accredited, but coming out of it, I really realized it. So I got involved in the Alumni Association and kind of participated at Widener throughout my career um, when I... Um, was in hospitals and health systems, and then I left and I joined a, a, a small uh, organization called Sachs Group that was out of Chicago. And when I was with that organization, we worked with uh, planning and marketing systems and worked around the country uh, with kind of helping organizations understand how do you plan, how do you market, how do you improve your quality, how do you look at your services. And one of my clients at the time was Aramark, which in the Aramark healthcare world, um, they really are kind of focusing on process improvement. How do we make things better? And they were using some of the benchmarks that the Sachs Group were at the time. I think we were known as Solution had kind of created. Um, so uh, an opening came up at Aramark, and uh, I was uh, approached by a person who used to be at my company, who had also gone to Aramark and thought it would be a good good role for me to take. And so when I got there. Um, I had a discussion with Fred Hobby, who was the president of the Institute for Diversity. 
And Fred and I were kind of reminiscing about our career, Lori, and we were kind of mm -hmm. talking about, you know, how we got started. And we both talked about fellowships, which is a really kind of core part of a lot of graduate programs with fellowships and residencies. And both Fred and I, you know, were kind of talking about how important that was to us. And Fred said to me, um, you know, Anthony, a lot of fellowships have gone away. And I went, why? And so, you know, we kind of talked about those reasons. And then he looked at me and said, you know, Anthony, Aramark should start a fellowship program. So I went back to my boss and he goes, have the conversation with Fred Go and, you know, how's your first week on the job? And I said, yeah, you know, I met with Fred and he, he talked about fellowships. And Jeff Connor, who's currently on the CAMI board, said to me, so, so Anthony, um, what's involved in the fellowships? I kind of described them and he went, hmm, so how much is a fellowship? You know, what, what would that run? And I went, so I told him, you know, what the starting salaries were for fellows. And he went, hmm. So he comes back to me the next day and says, okay, I've got four fellowships. I got money for four fellowships for you. And it'll be your responsibility and your job review this year will be my first week on the job. Your job review this year will be based on whether you get these fellowships up and running. So lo and behold, I had to establish four fellowships, but I didn't want students to come in and watch me work at the corporate office in downtown Philadelphia, what we did is we put fellows out in the field. We had them report to CEOs and hospital executives that were Aramark partner institutions. And Lori, it was an incredible fellowship opportunity. Uh, we had the fellows kind of learn a little bit about what Aramark did, what they reported to hospitals, but they came together four times a year where mm -hmm. they also kind of worked on a group project across it. We ran this program for five years. So after the, and the core part around this and where I'm coming with, how did I get involved with CAMI? As I said, I will only take students from CAMI accredited programs. And um, you know, question is why, you know, Anthony, aren't there great programs out there that aren't CAMI accredited? And, and, and there are, but I knew that if I would select students from CAMI accredited programs, mm -hmm. I was more sure that they would be better prepared to lead. And that was important for us with Aramark because we were putting these students with our partner organizations, with the CEOs. So we didn't want to put a dud with a CEO. We wanted to have a level of surety that the students right. would be well prepared. So what, well, what I hear one, you saying is that you, you felt extremely comfortable that students, having gone through programs that were CAMI accredited, they were going to have the skill set, the knowledge, and the competencies to be able to perform at the level you would expect them to for these fellowships. Exactly. And wouldn't embarrass us in mm -hmm. Aramark in that process. They would make sure they'd be a great student. So the folks at CAMI kind of heard that there was this crazy guy in Philadelphia spending about a quarter of a million dollars a year on fellowships. Uh, we should talk to him. So we did. And we funded some uh, research studies for Aramark at the time around global accreditation and, and what uh, CAMI should do. And, and in fact, we're implementing some of those now. But um, they asked me to sit on their board. And I did. And then, Lori, I made a key mistake sitting on their board. And hmm. for any listeners out there, if you want to know the key mistake not to make if you're ever on a board, don't ask any questions. I asked a <laughs> lot of questions and I became... <laughs> Of course, of the board. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when I was chair-elect, the president said she was retiring. And my response to her was, uh, 
please don't retire. And she said, it's time, Anthony, it's, it's really time. So um, another board member came to me and said, uh, I should do the role. And I, my comment to him was, I never kind of imagined ending up my career with a, a million dollar nonprofit. And at the time, Cami was not doing well. And he said, uh, Anthony, if you're doing what you love and you're helping people, then that matters more than anything. And Lori, I have to say that over my past seven years as CEO, that really has kind of rung true. Uh, I haven't mm -hmm. been happier in my career, probably haven't worked anywhere near as hard as what I've done the past seven years with a company this size. But to kind of see Cami grow to the organization we are now. So uh, it, it's been a long road. And, you know, I never, you know, I, I love people when they go, oh, you know, yeah, when I was in college, I dreamed of becoming the CEO of an accreditor. Never had that dream. You know, it was, it was, not, it was not anything that I kind of thought of. But it's interesting how your career kind of takes you into a path. But I, I like how you got there because it really was a love of what you did that put you in that role where others recognize, you know, this is a perfect fit. It's a logical outgrowth of where he was and where he should be and how you could provide value to the organization. You know, I was going to ask about the intrinsic value you felt that CAMI certification brings to educational institutions um, and their stakeholders, but you, you did that in terms of the fellowship and why you specifically wanted CAMI accredited program students um, to be those who participated. I mean, it makes sense having yeah. a background that you can trust and. Yeah. Well, it's, you see, our mission statement is, is simple. Our mission statement is advance the quality of healthcare management education. Okay? And we do that mission through four ways. One of them is set the standards, help programs meet those standards. Some people don't kind of think about that, but our role as an accreditor is to help you meet those standards. Then um, we, review and accredit programs who meet those standards. And then finally, we publicize that to the public. Here's the programs that are CAMI accredited. So that's our mission. But our vision statement is make sure that students are well prepared to lead. And, you know, if you kind of look at the mission and look at the vision, that's where we're kind of moving as, as an organization. And I think, you know, where we've really made some significant, uh, significant uh, movement over the past seven years. Is it hard for academic institutions to achieve programmatic accreditation through CAMI? Like describe that process and why, you know, as a program director, I'd tell my dean, we should go after this. This is something that we should do. This is something we should do for our students. Why would we choose? Well, why would we want to be CAMI accredited? Yeah. And, 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 you know, Lori, it's interesting. I think, you know, everything good in life is hard. Right. So no matter what you want to accomplish, if it were easy, then everyone would be doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. but, so why do you, why does a program want to be CAMI accredited? I think the main reason, and if a program's not doing it for this reason, they're not in it for the right thing. The main reason why you should become CAMI accredited is you have an independent group come in, review your program. And that, that group, those site visitors are practitioners and other, your peer academics. They evaluate your program relative to standards and criteria that are set by peer academics and the profession. And they're, they're telling you, hey, this is where you need to improve. 
and this is where you need to get better, or this is where you're doing exceptional. Uh, it's very rare for a program to kind of meet every one of our criteria and standards, even with reaccreditation. The site visit team comes in and always, almost always finds areas for you to improve on. So why do you want to be CAMI accredited? It's if you want to be, if you want to improve, if you want to be a better program, if you want to make sure you're performing at the high level of other other programs similar to you, that's why you want to do it. Now, I do get some programs who come to us and say, hey, you know, we want to be CAMI accredited. How much does it cost? Mm -hmm. And they're, they're really thinking, oh, we buy the brand. And it's like, no, that's right. that's not what it's about. Like, you, you can't come into CAMI and go, I want to become CAMI accredited, plunk down some money. And, you know, within a month, you have the brand to kind of put on your website. It just doesn't work that way. There's a self-study period. There's a site visit. There's a thoughtful review by the accreditation council and by the board. So it usually takes, you know, two to three years to become accredited. So the programs have to demonstrate that they have achieved um, accreditation status. They they have to achieve that they've mastered um, and at least can provide data for all of the metrics that Cami asked them to to show and to collect the different types of data to determine that the program is a quality program, at least quality enough to have earned the the um, the CAMI certification. Exactly, Lori. It's it's that you need to show evidence that you've kind of met these standards, and it's that showing evidence that's really kind of important. You know, I recognize all of the effort through my past roles as you know, dean, program director, that goes into you know, achieving accreditation and maintaining it. And sometimes this happens alongside of other programmatic um, accreditations that you're seeking or trying to recertify for, in addition to an institutional um, review, right? So you have all of these different accreditations moving at one time, and you're trying to provide data because all of the criteria is different. It serves a different purpose. And so you hear some people talk about accreditation fatigue, have you heard of that? <laughs> Lori, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and that's that's definitely a common problem. And, uh, you know, I think there's there's several knocks against accreditors. And one of them is that, hey, we're doing this just to kind of meet the needs of the accreditation process, but we're really not kind of using it. So I'm putting a lot of effort and work in, but is it really that kind of effective? And I think the other part that you kind of hit on is um, I'm, I'm being accredited as a program, health, health graduate program in healthcare management, but then my school might be accredited by the accreditor for public health, which is CEF, or by the AACSB, which is the accreditor for business schools. And then my university might be accredited by a regional accreditor. So right. It's got several different levels in it. And the question comes, how much accreditation is truly and really necessary? And I think, you know, the, the important part around all of that is to kind of think about what you're trying to accomplish. You know, uh, accreditation for a healthcare management program really kind of reflects that the curriculum and the standards are relative to healthcare management, which is different than the overall business school accreditation. Absolutely. But accreditation fatigue is a really real issue. So how has CAMI kind of addressed that? I think, you know, that's... That's really, you know, one of the points that we continue to work on. I, I don't want to kind of say, hey, you know, CAMI eliminated all areas of accreditation fatigue. I think it's an ongoing problem. 
one of them is that we started to work with a vendor called Weave. And that information tool that Weave has, they're working to integrate the accreditation for programmatic accreditors with schools, with universities. And not everyone uses Weave, but if you if you do use Weave across that, then some of the information kind of flows through it. And why we selected Weave a couple of years ago was because of that capability. That's you know one way to kind of like help a little bit. Yeah. That help one, that way. Yeah. You know, having to you know rely on so many different people to provide data to respond to all of these different accrediting bodies. I mean, it sounds like Weave is very effective in that in that way in helping you just kind of collect where at least you could share data or use data that's already been collected or used for another um, another review or report. But and, you know, and, and Lori, that's just one way though. I think the other mm -hmm. way is we're really kind of looking at our standards and criteria and going to make sure that the deliverables are very clear to the programs. So, um, you know, the, the technology is fine, but, you know, is what we're requiring clear or are programs kind of guessing? And and frankly, what we see with some of our criterion standards or programs are going, well, we think Cami wants this. So let's put it down. And then the site visitors go, oh, no, no, you should have provided that. So we've created some checklists of what needs to be done. We've also created the ability to do, uh, and this will be coming very soon, drag and drop of tables from our annual report process into our accreditation uh, review process. So that way they're not duplicating information. If you're gathering it on your annual report, let me just drag and drop it into my self-study period, uh, self-study report. So I think those are going. And then I think the, the other part that's really kind of cool on this is every five years, CAMI reviews its standards. So right now we're going through that standards review and every standard is, is being looked at. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you know, we've all heard about zero-based budgeting. Well, yes. this is almost like zero-based standards review. So we're, we're asking a question, hey, if, if someone, if, if this particular standard is met universally by every program that is CAMI accredited over the past seven years, then is it really still a worthwhile standard to continue to ask? Or is, it, is this really just something that everyone comes with? On the other hand, what if there's a standard that almost everyone meets, uh, everyone fails to meet? Right. And if everyone fails to meet that standard, does that say that's a, a good standard? Or does that say maybe it's a standard that we're not being that clear with? Or the implementation of that standard isn't good? Or is it just a bad standard? You know, so, Anthony, you know, that that's a good point um, because I'm sure that there are many program directors that would like to know, is the litmus test, as you mentioned, that many programs don't do well in this area, so we're thinking there's something wrong. As a program director, I think I would be reluctant to say, hey, Cami, we don't understand this. What do you want? This is a bad standard. So how do you get feedback from the programs um, in terms of their clarity and understanding a standard and what it means? And then how do you take that information to make the changes for different iterations of the standards or modifications? Yeah, and and, and you know, Lori, in terms of feedback from the programs, number one, we do surveys. We do annually a survey of all of our program directors and, and you know, ask them questions about what we're doing in there. But after the site visit, we also do a survey. 
Mm -hmm. kind of see what's come through. And I think surveys are valuable. But the other part that we do, and I think some of this is uh, my background in analytics and um, looking at the data that you have, is we are really examining our data. And, and we're looking at it in far level, far higher levels of detail than we ever did. So, you know, for each standard, what's the percent of programs that receive a partially met or not met? And then where are the areas within that standard that they're not doing so well in? And kind of digging into those things that we're looking at uh, around the standards and criteria is one of the areas that we're looking at. I think, you know, there's, there's two types of research. There's primary and secondary research. And I think the, you know, a lot of, a lot of people kind of ignore the data you have on hand from, from your operations. And that's what we're, we're really kind of looking at, which is. Anthony, is there a theme with the type of standards that you ultimately change? Are they asking the, the programs for maybe data that they don't readily have or data that they don't necessarily think they need to collect? Like when you need to make modifications, is, is there a theme that you're seeing now since you've started to really look closely at this that you're saying we want to kind of maybe uh, develop these types of standards or frame them in this way. Yeah. So, so Lori, the, the, the standard that most programs have a hard time with is around assessment. And is that surprising? No, no. not to me. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's, it's competency assessment. So, you know, we, we kind of look at where Cami was with that. And, and, and maybe this is a good one to just kind of explore a little bit in, in time with you. So, um, when I began seven years ago, um, when we looked at, you know, what, what number percent of programs were not doing so well in, in what particular standards, competency assessment was the standard um, at the time. And, and what we had required was that every student be assessed for every competency wow. that is addressed in every course. So every student, every competency, every course it was literally crazy. We had programs going, this is a lot of workforce yeah. and competency assessment is different than letter grades and how do we need to do right. this? So the, the, again, uh, what, what we looked at, and, you know, with our, the first revision of the standards that during my time as a CEO was we moved it from every student, every competency, every course to, okay, so we'll assess every student, but only uh, at minimum twice at the beginning and at the end, you know, did they change with their assessment, with their competencies and how did that kind of go? And I thought at the time when we approved that change, I went, okay, so we solved this problem done. Let's move on to the next standard. Well, lo and behold, we still see programs having a hard time with it. And so what we've begun to do this part is kind of look at other organizations and AACSB has been a phenomenal partner with this and their approach of looking at competency assessment is one. And we've talked to, um, uh, she is uh, a CHIA fellow who was involved a lot in, in competency assessment and she is the Council on Higher Education Accreditation. She is the organization that recognizes CAMI as an accreditor. So we, we talked to the CHIA fellow, we talked to the AACSB people, we talked to some other people who are really kind of knowledgeable in assessments, and we're also talking to our, our own programs. What we're coming around to is, do we really need to assess every student's competencies? 
or our students being assessed in their grading process by their faculty. Everybody's doing grading and you have to do grading, but is the important part in here, how is the program looking at how well they're teaching the competencies and how is the program identifying the specific competencies that they're not, in, not meeting their goals in teaching and what are the processes that they're putting in place in those competencies to improve their educational process. So let me kind of repeat that. Not so much student level competency attainment, but overall is the program attaining the competency levels that they want to. And if they're not, what are they doing to improve that process? And we're not there yet, but I think if I were to kind of look at a sneak preview of where CAMI might be, and we're still in the early process of doing it, I think that's how we'll kind of work on improving the process. It, it sounds very prescriptive in some ways. And I know that having multiple um, multiple accreditations that an institution is seeking at one time, it might seem overwhelming and um, sometimes stifling. And yeah. so do you think that being prescriptive in so many ways or or what types of things do you think can um, stifle programs from being innovative? And, and what is CAMI doing to mitigate that? No, I, you know, again, so another big knock about accreditors is they create the standards and criteria that people need to meet. And if you're a program and go, oh, I want to try something different, but you fall outside those standards, you don't want to do it because then you'll lose your accreditation or you'll jeopardize your accreditation. So a big knock about accreditors is we stifle innovation, right? And what CAMI has done has, is a couple different ways. And we really tried to work to make sure we haven't stifled uh, innovation. And I think one of them is we started to accredit new service lines. And boy, you talk about something that was controversial. You know, mm -hmm. we heard people go, uh, oh, CAMI needs to stay in its lane. You know, CAMI accredits graduate programs in healthcare management. When we started to accredit graduate programs in healthcare quality and safety, which arguably is a component of healthcare management, a, a subdivision, but a component of it. And we started to begin the process of accrediting programs in population health management, mm -hmm. not public health, but population health management. And we've looked at those and we're also exploring other service lines to kind of give people the ability to say, hey, we want to be accredited, but we want to be accredited in areas that are, are, are relevant to the students that we're looking you know, to attract in here. So that's one particular way that we've tried to become a little more innovative in the process. And then the second one, I think, is really kind of core is we're working with an amazing woman, uh, Dr. Reggie Herzlinger from the Harvard Business School. And, and uh, Dr. Herzlinger was the first um, uh, female, uh, uh, I think, uh, chair of the department at Harvard Business School. Just a, a phenomenal woman was is considered the, uh, the grandmother of consumer-directed healthcare, New York Times bestseller, and has probably educated more people in healthcare leadership area, in, in innovative areas, than anyone else. And what, what we've established with Dr. Herzlinger is the CAMI George and Reggie Herzlinger Award for Innovation Education. So how do you teach students to be innovative 
and what we're looking at there is what are programs doing that are innovative and rewarding them for it. And, you know, through that approach, we're really trying to encourage innovation, kind of focusing on innovation. So again, are we done? Are we complete? I would say probably not. I'd love to be able to say, you know, we're fully there, but we know that the scenario, we think we're establishing some guideposts to help programs along that process. But I, I think that's great. And the collaboration with, um, with Harvard, and I know you have a collaboration with AACSB. And, um, you know, I, I'm just curious to know what potential you see in the cooperation with different accrediting organizations or different organizations, because this could be siloed, right? And depending on the discipline, um, there's a lot of siloism going on, but what kind of collaborations do you see um, well, that would I'm work out well? Yeah, Lori, really, you know, good question. I think, you know, one of the areas that we've started to do with AACSB um, a couple of years ago was to have joint site visits with. And let me kind of talk about what that means. It's like, if we have a site visit team, we, we work with AACSB to find the programs who are ready to be re-accredited from both of us around the same time frame. And so we send a team at the exact same time that AACSB sends a team. And what CAMI does is it says for these particular standards, which are very similar to CAMI standards, CAMI site visit team won't look at them. So now, we, Anthony, when that when um, AAS um, CSB is coming out for their site visit, they're not looking at the healthcare management program. Right, right. So the school gets to benefit really by having the one visit and everyone there at the same time, essentially providing the same types of data, enrollment data, financial data, uh, student services data, data. You know, yeah, what's the resources available, all that stuff. Yeah, that cuts down on the anxiety for the school, I'm sure. Yeah, and and look, you know, is there any secret sauce? Are our site visitors smarter than AACSB's site or more pure or more ethical? No, I mean, we're all trying to do the, the correct thing. And we basically say if AACSB finds this, because they've got to look at it for the whole school, we're good. We just focus on the 15 criteria or standards that are related to healthcare management. So the program, we, we help to eliminate some of the anxiety of the program to say, well, geez, you know, this is what CAMI's looking for. This is what AACSB is looking for. We're doing that. And I'm really excited about this partnership with AACSB. They've They've helped us improve. I mean, a AACSB is, is probably 30 times the size, 30 times the size of CAMI, worldwide accreditor in business schools, and is known throughout the globe as the leader in business education. What, what's the feedback you, you've received from the programs that have had the joint uh, site visits? Very good. Very good feedback. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we've done it with uh, University of Miami. We've done it with Baylor University. Georgia State and Florida International University, and programs love it. You know, yeah, because I, they I know we're. Yeah, uh, we've also kind of begun a, a, to to do those discussions with SEEF, uh, which is the 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 accreditor for public health, and SEEF and CAMI are on board. We're ready to kind of do this. The problem, I think, is that uh, business schools are maybe a little less risk averse than than public health schools. And um, we've had a couple programs go, oh, we really are interested in this, but then it kind of got pulled back from, uh, you know, the deans and, and provosts at those universities. But uh, the the B schools are jumping all over it, and I'm, uh, you know, really kind of pleased. And we've got a couple more kind of in the pipeline that are beginning. 
that's that's exciting. So when the site visitors are, um, you know, they're meeting with the with the different schools and the different programs, and even when you do joint collaborations, you know, what do you require of the site visitors? They're going there, they're going to be collecting data, assessing the program, really seeing how things are working. Sometimes they're doing it just cami by themselves. Other times, as you just mentioned, they might be doing it with another partner. What are the expectations of the site visitors and how do they manage um, you know, being on site with another program. Yeah, and, and Lori, you know, the, the the important underlying question around that is that our site visitors are all volunteers. Let me repeat that. Our site visitors are all volunteers. Wow. They give up their time freely to do this. And they're academics and practitioners. And the practitioners, it would it would literally blow you away to kind of think about some of the practitioners that are there. We have CEOs from hospitals, executives, senior vice presidents. Um, I really want to say that we we don't have any practitioner um, site visitors who are probably lower than a vice president. Well, they are invested so, in the success of these programs because they know they're going to produce quality students that ultimately uh, can help the industry. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't it? And, and, you know, it, it makes you feel good about the profession and what we're trying to accomplish. And the academics, of course, are, are, are also kind of involved and are giving their time to kind of do this. So you have these site visit teams go there, but they totally volunteer. So how do we kind of work with those volunteers to let them know what's expected of them? And the, the, the big problem, another big knock against the creditors is inter-rater reliability. Does one site visitor believe the same thing as another site visitor? Right. They're looking for the same thing. And, you know, uh, back when I was on the alumni council of uh, my alma mater, um, I remember we had a site visitor from the team come in who was really a, a human resource person. And they said, oh, the problem with, you know, the, the Widener program and healthcare management at the time was we didn't have enough dedicated to human resources. So they added a, a course in human resource management to meet it. But that really wasn't the area that was, it was this guy's, you know, kind of mantra about what he was kind right. of trying to profess. So how do we kind of create process that programs are looking at the criteria and standards? That's, that's the tough part. So what we've done is we have a really strong education and training process. And what that means is if you're interested in being a site visitor, you, you come to CAMI. Um, I do an interview with every site visitor that kind of comes through. It's it's that important that, you know, the, the CEO kind of interview them and kind of understand where their head's at and what they want to try to accomplish. We also send them out on a site visit as an observer. And Lori, I was an observer at one point during my my, my time in CAMI. And the tough part about being an observer is you go on the site visit and you cannot say a word. You just have to observe. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you can imagine for an executive, that's pretty hard not to be up. But, you know, the chair kept reminding me, if you have any questions, Anthony, let me know, but in a group, but do not lend your opinion to the program because you're fairly uninformed opinion at that time takes the weight of fact because they're seeing you as a site visit. So you go okay. through as an observer. You also go through training on CAMI in something called our core learning center. 
So every site visitor needs to do that training. And that training looks at every criteria and standards and it's, it's video-based online training. And we have questions and follow-ups on all of that training part. And, uh, um, you know, I think, Lori, you, you were one of the uh, trainers on our Academy's Core Learning Center around professionalism, what that means. So that kind of is a, is a second kind of core critical part. And then once they go through that, then they, as an observer and the education, well, actually, they don't even get set out as an observer until you complete the education. So you've got to complete the education, go out as an observer, and then you become a site visitor. And you, you come in a level as a site visit team member. And on the team, you, you know, learn to participate with the, with the folks and you start to get your, your sea legs underneath you. And then after a couple visits, um, assuming you meet um, certain satisfaction levels and continue your ongoing, there's ongoing education. Once a year, you have to take a, a, a course kind of talking about what are the new standards coming in place and what are some of the issues we found out about. You can eventually move up to becoming a CAMI fellow. Then after becoming a CAMI fellow, after so many additional other site visits and meeting certain levels of satisfaction, you can become a certified fellow and then eventually a master fellow. So there's a reward and recognition process in there. And, but the site you know, that is, is all, all part of it. And the site visitors are essentially ambassadors for the CAMI brand. So when they go on the campuses, um, all of the training that you provide really helps them speak with one voice, right? And this mitigates the inter-rater reliability because everyone is trained in the CAMI way and they're going out. And I, I know this personally, and we're speaking to what the requirements are for a CAMI. So any individual feelings you have about something a program is doing or not doing well, I think that anyone who's seeking to be accredited by CAMI can trust that everyone has been trained to a standard. They are provided with information to help them become um, excellent ambassadors for CAMI. And they all speak with one voice. So you won't get 8 million answers um, to one question. We're, but we're how trying. do you support the ambassadors? Like what else? I mean, as ambassadors, you mentioned some of the training, but are, is there anything else that you've done recently to just kind of help facilitate um, the ability to, and to be reminded when I go on this site visit, here's how I should um, demonstrate or or support the Cami brand. No, you know, and, and Lori, I think a lot of it is establishing a culture and what, you know, we, we don't want site, we want site visitors to attend the program with the concept of let me help you get better. So it's not, we don't want the site visitors to go there with the checklist going, oh, you know, you have this wrong, you know, but rather let me help you become a better program. And, it's so know, stressful that, for programs, Anthony. So, I mean, that approach, like the let me help you approach is so much better than the got you or the yes, this is wrong. It, it The programs are already stressed out because they want to do their best. I, I know that. They all want to do their best. They do. Yeah, they literally do. Uh, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a short video on our website, uh, which we talk about the a uh, brand ambassador, the, the CAMI site visitor is a brand ambassador where we really kind of focus on how as a site visitor, you're a careful steward of the, of your, pro of the program's resources. Um, you know, the program pays for the expenses of the site visit team that's there and how we need to 
behave honorably and appropriately. So if you're if you're a member of a site visit team, you don't go and you know buy surf and turf at you know the Four Seasons uh, restaurant you know on the site visit team. That you're a careful steward of the organization's resources when you're doing that. And you know also like you said, it's not a gotcha experience. It's how do you help them kind of be better? So that whole brand ambassador approach is the way that we're trying to to communicate the culture to our site visit team. And, you know, Lori, some people don't get it and they want to be yeah. the, the gotcha people. And we, you know, uh, kind of weed them out of the site visit team process. Um, well, you know, I, let I, me, I, let me share with you an interesting statistic. Cause you know, you, you talk about the inner rate of reliability and mm -hmm. it's really hard to kind of tell that, you know, you can look at all the site visit reports, but one way is that we, we ask a survey and we ask all of the teams you know, as they go through, what's the consistency with the site visit team that you're on right now versus other site visit teams that you've been on? How consistent has the team been in their evaluation of the criteria? So in the spring of 2022, 63% of the site visitors who responded to the survey said that it was very consistent. 29% said consistent. 6% inconsistent, 3% very inconsistent. So there was like a 9% that went, hey, it's not that consistent, right? So right. 63% said very. Spring of 2023 was 63. It's now 93. Wow. Right. Yeah. And the and the 29% said consistent is seven. So 93 and seven, no one said inconsistent or very inconsistent. So- mm -hmm. We've made some improvements on that area through this approach that we're we're, we're going a, on. And, you know, again, we're not we're not done. We still have a lot more to go, but um, you know, we are working on. During the time that um, you know, programs initially become accredited and then they have to you know recertify after a while. What tools are in place for the programs to you know keep them in the know? I know that they they have the ability. Mm -hmm to visit the CAMI website and there's so many resources there for the programs. They have continued program development by virtue of the industry, but what is CAMI doing and how can CAMI help the program stay abreast of, you know, what other programs are doing and, and how can they use any resources that you have in that way? So, so Lori, great question because, you know, the site visits occur once you're accredited and then you're going for a regret. It could be occur once every seven years. So during that seven year Part, if you don't have a site visit team there, how am I doing relative right. to other programs? You know, what's going on in there? Or even if you're just newly accredited or you're becoming accredited, you're still in candidacy, how am I doing relative to other accredited programs? So what we've created from our annual report process is something called the CAMI Annual Report Benchmarker. So programs could go in and say, okay, I want to compare my performance in terms of student outcomes graduation rates, incomes that students make, uh, percent that find a job, uh, number of faculty, adjunct versus full professors and stuff. I can compare my program to a defined group that I define, program director defines, that I want to compare myself to. And so that benchmarking tool enables them to see how well they're doing. And I really want to say 
it's done annually. So it's almost uh, pretty much real time. I mean, like, it's not like, oh, I, I, this is data from seven years ago. It's data that's pretty up to date. We just completed our annual report process in November and the new benchmarking information will be released in January. So that'll, you know, be out there. So that's one. And the second thing that we've done, you know, back in the old days, um, if, uh, if a program director wanted to take a look at another program site visit report, well, that information is publicly, you know, is accessible to the programs. They'd have to make an appointment to come to our office, right? set them up in a, a room somewhere, and then they would be able to read through all of the reports from any program that they wanted to look at. We've put that all online. So uh, with it's called Enhanced Benchmarking 2.0. So if I'm a program director and I go, well, geez, I'm having a problem with uh, my mission and vision statement. Who had strengths in their mission and vision statement? Right. Get it. And Oh, this is how they wrote this. Who had strengths in their competency assessment? Part? Let me take a look at what they wrote. Who that, had... That is great. Yeah. And it's, it's all right there for people to... You know, because so, as, as a program, you you wonder and you want to know, I don't, we don't do this well. How can we do this well? And to have the community of CAMI accredited programs to share this information, you know, it's great because the ultimate goal, of course, you know, as you mentioned in the very early parts of um, this podcast, is about the consistency and the quality and being able to know that if a student has gone through a CAMI accredited program, you expect them to perform at this level and for programs to be able to utilize resources to see where they might be able to lean on another CAMI accredited program to, to be similarly um, proficient is, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you, you kind of talked about, I, I like your concept of lean on another program. We actually have something called the CAMI mentorship circle. And that's a core group of programs that have volunteered to mentor other programs. And I remember I once had a, a, one of the practitioners kind of say, Anthony, how did you get other programs to help another program when they're competing for the same student? And, and we kind of laughed about it, but I have to tell you, it's been a very effective approach. And, and you know, um, kudos to the, the academy. Kudos to folks in higher education to go, hey, I want to share best practices. We want the field to get better. And Absolutely. That's, you know, that's the, the, the neat part about it right now. Anthony, you've shared so much valuable information um, that I know program directors, deans, everyone is going to be so excited to hear and learn about what CAMI is doing and your approach on innovation and how to perpetuate strong you know, accrediting body relationships with other partners and other um, accreditors. So thank you so much for sharing all of this information. We will provide a link to the video that you mentioned. So if anyone wants to see how you are preparing site visitors to go on site visits, um, they'll be able to see that. Um, but I want to finish off with one last question for you. If you were not the president and CEO of CAMI, what would you be doing? Because this is pretty interesting work. It, it, it's very rewarding and exciting and uh, you get to use your best skills and, and be happy doing this. But if you weren't doing this, what might you be doing? 
Well, you know, Lori, that that's a really good question, and you know, particularly I think at this this point in my career, um, you know, I I get a lot of psychic benefit from being uh, having this role at Cami. I think you know part of my enjoyment is related to the staff that I have, and it's just a, it's an amazing group of people that I work with who are really kind of dedicated to our mission that, uh, you know, it's thrilling. I get, I get a lot of enjoyment in kind of talking to the students that are out there. And just before this call, I had a conversation with two students from the Medical University of South Carolina um, and, you know, kind of fostering that, you know, you're the next generation. How do you, how do you improve healthcare? You know, how do you make things better? I love working with uh, the faculty that's out there because they're on the front lines and how do we help them get better? Yes. And I love working with the practitioners that are out there. Um, it's, I, I don't know if, if, if I were, I don't know if there would be another role that I would enjoy as much at this point in my career. And I think what I probably would do is spend full time as a grandfather is, is <laughs> probably what I would do, but um, uh, hopefully that won't be for a while. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights and perspectives. Um, I truly enjoyed this conversation. And I learned so much more than I than I thought I knew um, just about the things that were going on with Cami and all of the efforts and the intention that you're putting behind making sure that the Cami brand stays strong and that accreditation is valuable to programs um, and that there's strong collaboration with our partners, I think is is very impressive. And again, I appreciate your time uh, with us today on the EdUp Accreditation Podcast. And I hope to have you back again soon. Well, thank you, Lori. It was, uh, it was enjoyable and I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you.